And again, now we're looking at one of the most best-known passages throughout the Bible in the Christmas season, the story of the angel coming to Mary. And uh, one of the things that I want to see is that, though, you know, this is a well-known passage. Periodically, I'll, you know, have people say, well, why do we spend time every year? And, you know, it's just a little part of the Gospels. And it, is it really that important that we would spend this time every year? And one of the things that I want to point out is that as we look at this, this is something that, that the, the church from its very onset, the teachings that we see, that we celebrate through Christmas, is something that the church has always seen as being very foundational to the, to the, you know, to the teachings of the church. Uh, you know, those who, again, who are regular attenders, you know that we've been in the midst of this study in the Apostles' Creed. And, uh, and the Apostles' Creed is the oldest summation of the foundational teachings of the church. And in that, we're not really studying the Apostles' Creed, we're using it as an outline, and we're seeing how the Apostles' Creed teaches the teaching of the Bible. And so we're each week, we're looking at the outline and then going to the Bible and seeing what the Bible teaches on the, that subject. And we saw from the very beginning how it starts out with this, you know, this statement of, of what we believe, of, of who we are as a church. You know, we believe, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator in the heavens and the earth. You know, this great statement about, about God, about who God is. And then it goes on to, to teach about the idea of the Trinity, that God is one God but three persons. You know, that God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it goes then talking about God the Son, Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And then it continues, the very first thing that it teaches us about the nature of Jesus is what we study in Luke chapter 1. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And so what we see is from the very beginning, the church understood that this, this you know, even before the, the, you know, the church began to celebrate Christmas as a holiday, they understood that this, this idea that is taught, that we celebrate, the idea that Jesus was born of a virgin was something that was foundational to the Christian church, foundational to our faith. And this morning, I want to spend some time looking at why that is. Why is this so, so important? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke 6, and, and or Luke chapter 1, I mean, and starting at verse 26, and, and hopefully learn something about this Christmas story, about why it was important, why it's meaningful, and, and what it means to us. Right off the bat, we're going to see that Christmas is a story, but it's a, it's a story that tells us certain things. It's a story of God's intervention into our story. Let me go ahead and read, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, uh, Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and, he, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will become, be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his, of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, it's important to see here that the angel comes, and the angel doesn't just tell Mary that she would have a baby, even though she's a virgin. That's, that's part of the miracle. But he continues to tell her something of what it would mean, of why this baby was, was unique, was special. 
but you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. Verse 35, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. He's saying that this baby Jesus that would be born wasn't a normal baby. This, this, this baby Jesus was literally God. As we were going to see in, in Matthew, that we're told that he was given the name Emmanuel, God with us. This was God himself coming and taking on human flesh. Now, in this, I want you to see, though, that, that Luke is very clear, that, that Matthew is very clear, that there's a link between both the miracle of the virgin birth and the miracle of the incarnation. There's a link between the fact that because she's a virgin, you know, likewise, there's a link that this is, this is actually the, the Son of God. This is God himself. Again, look at verse 35. After Mary asks how she could become pregnant, she's a virgin, the angel responds by telling her not only how this would happen, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, but he also then continues to tell her what it means. Therefore, therefore, because of this, the meaning of the virgin birth is that the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. So there's a link here. And this is consistent with what we see in Matthew's account. When we look in Matthew, we see the same thing. The angel tells Joseph that he shouldn't be afraid to take Mary as his wife because the child is indeed from the Holy Spirit. The child is indeed a miracle that Mary is indeed a virgin, even though she is pregnant. And then he continues on in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so what it's saying is that the virgin birth is to fulfill this prophecy all the way back in Isaiah chapter 7, hundreds of years ago, that, that the virgin birth would be a miracle, something impossible, but it would be a sign of even a greater miracle. The baby would not be a normal baby, but it would actually be God himself coming into humanity, coming into our world, taking on human flesh to live amongst us. And the great news is that when we look at this, it's a story that's telling us that Christmas is all about the fact that God is pursuing us, that God is initiating, that God is, is reaching out to us. That Christmas is not just a story about what God did there, but it's a story about God coming into humanity because he wants a relationship with us. Now, you, you know, those that, that are part of this church, you hear me talk all the time about, you know, true Christianity is so radically different from, from religion. And it is. You see, when we think about religion, what is religion? Religion tells us that there's this gap between us and God. That there's this gap, and, and religion says, okay, if you want to cross that gap, then here's what you have to do. You know, you have to do these good things. You have to not do these bad things that are going to create a worse problem. And, and if you do enough, then you hope that you've worked your way towards God and God will prove you because you've crossed enough of that gap. See, the Christian message is, yes, there is a gap between us and God, but it's a gap that we, could never, we can never cross. The Christian message is something that is illustrated in the incarnation. It's not a gap where God calls us through religion and through our performance to try to work our way up towards God. The, the incarnation tells us that no, everything is God pursuing us and God coming down to us. The gap is closed, not by our efforts to work our way up, but by God, by his grace, reaching down. God came to us. He closed the gap by reaching out to us. Religion says what we have to do to close the gap. We have to earn our way towards God. We have to do that. The message of Jesus Christ is that God came to us to close a gap that we could never close. He did it by coming and ultimately dying for our sins and, 
and making a way for the sins that created that gap to be removed, not by our effort, but by our acceptance of what God had done for us. Now, I want you to see in the midst of this, though, there's a, there's a link between this whole story of, of the incarnation and of the virgin birth. The, the virgin birth is not just something that, you know, that we, you know, that's, that's secondary. Uh, you know, again, I'll hear, one, on one hand, I'll talk to people that are more from a liberal perspective, and well, we don't believe in the virgin birth, and it's really not important anyhow. It's, it's a, you know, it's really not essential to who Jesus was or what he did. And well, I'll talk to other people that are more evangelical, and well, you know, the, it's a nice story, but, but we pay too much attention to it, and, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't focus it on as much. But again, what we see is that the church from its very beginning saw that this was something that was essential. And, and the reason is here that when we look at this, both, you know, Matthew, Luke, both of them point to this link between the virgin birth and, and the incarnation, the deity of Jesus. Again, we saw a moment ago in, in Matthew chapter 1, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear her son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so there's this idea of the virgin birth and the incarnation that are, that are linked together. See, the important thing is it helps us to answer one of the, the, the mind-blowing problems when we think of who Jesus was. How could God come and become a man? How could God come and take on human flesh and still at the same time remain God? How could he be born of a woman and yet not inherit sin nature? Because part of our nature is we're sinners. How, how is that possible? And what we've got to realize is that the Bible teaches us certain things. It teaches us that Jesus, Jesus was not a person who became God. He was not God who just kind of took on, um, you know, appearance as a man, but wasn't. No, the Bible teaches that God was fully man, fully, or Jesus was fully God, fully man. It wasn't 50-50. He was 100% human, 100% God. And it's the virgin birth that helps us understand and explain this. He was born of a woman, sharing in all of humanity, yet his father was God. He, wasn't, he was born of a miracle. And so that, so that there was a sense that he was a child of God, that he was in very nature God. In fact, in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus, and it talks about the fact that, that we've got to recognize that, that he's a high priest who is like us, that that shares our humanity in all things but one. Look what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with, sympathize with our weaknesses. For we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we, yet was without sin. And so he shared in human nature in every way, except he wasn't a sinner. You know, the Bible teaches that when Adam and Eve sinned, they changed human nature. As a result, from then on, every human being was born with a sin nature. In other words, we have something in us that is drawn towards sin. You know, and if, if you want to illustrate, you know, sometimes I'll hear people talk about, you know, well, children, well, they're innocent. Well, they're innocent by experience. They're not innocent by, by heart, by nature. And all you have to do is take a young child. You could experiment with your child. I don't want to do it with mine. Uh, you know, but, but give them no instructions. Just let them figure out on their own what they're going to do. And you know what? If you don't ever instruct them and correct them, they're going to naturally go the wrong way. I mean, I didn't have to teach my child to say no. She got that naturally, or they, got, or they all got that naturally. I didn't have to teach them to disobey. They got that naturally, because we have a sin nature. Now, here's one thing that I find interesting in that, though. 
when you think of that, especially Romans talks about us inheriting Adam's sin. Have you ever thought about that? We inherit Adam's sin. It always speaks in this idea that the father's lineage, you know, I inherit the sin, his sin nature. Now, I don't know if that means that men are solely responsible for passing on sin nature. I'm not sure about the theology of that. And um, although I think that there's something inherent about women that it seems like I think they kind of suspect that. Uh, I mean, how many of us have had that discussion with our with our wives? And it's like when the baby is born, look at what we made, look at our baby, you know, and then we're, you know, and then mom's holding this, and I love my little baby, and, and it's our child. And, and then we come home one day as men, and our wives look at us and say, do you know what your child did? Do you know what your son did? We say, what happened about our child? It was our son. What? Well, it's your son. When, why is it my son when he does something wrong? You know, it's kind of like, and, and I think of, some of that, I've had some of those discussions, you know, when our kids were younger and our kids would throw a tantrum and, and Sandy would look at me and said, you know, look what your child's doing. And I'm, and I'm like, my child? And she says, they didn't get that from me. I was the easygoing child, as a, you know, I was, I, was the, I was the easy passive one. You were the strong-willed, you know, difficult one. Now, I don't know, again, theologically, if, if all that's true, but I think there's something there. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was not a descendant of Adam as a father. He didn't inherit a sin nature. He was a human in every way except of not only a sin, of the sin nature and of the desire to sin. He's the only person then in, in all of human history who lived a total human life, but yet did so perfectly without sin. He met God's standards of perfection. And ultimately, when we understand that, we realize that's who Jesus was, and that's what he came to do. He came to ultimately live the perfect life that earned God's reward, so that when he died on the cross, he wasn't taking any of the penalty for his own sin. He had no sin. But he was taking our sin and the penalty for our sin, and he offers us his perfection and his righteousness. You see, but the whole idea of the incarnation is essential to understand the deity of Christ and the fact that he in no way was a sinner, that he didn't even have a sin nature. If we understand this, we're going to see that, that it all leads to the message of grace. And we see even here in the very beginning of Jesus' story that it's all a statement of grace. Christmas is a story of God's grace towards us. It's not about religion. It's not about what we do to earn our way towards God. It's about God's grace coming to us. So when we think about Mary, I think it's really common when we think about this story that we, many people may think of Mary as this wonderful, mature, godly woman who lived this great life of personal uh, piety. And then when the angel comes and it says, you know, God has chosen you, it's because, because you have been such a wonderful woman and, and, and God is like so impressed with you and he's chosen you because you've earned this great blessing. My friends, in reality, Mary was probably a 13 or 14 year old woman. That's when most women would have been engaged and married at that time. She was probably 13, 14, at oldest 15. She was from a small rural town, probably was illiterate, probably did not know how to read. Uh, God did not choose her based on her performance. But the angel is clear that God chose her because of God's grace, not because of her performance. Look at again what the angel says, starting in verse 28. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
Now, when we look at that, we might say, okay, what does he mean, oh, favored one? How did she find favor? And again, that's where we come to this idea that, well, you're favored because of what you've done. But what we've got to realize is that when we look at this, he's not saying, well, God, you're favored because of the way that you've lived. The word that, that the, the angel uses here, this translated favor, is from the Greek word grace. It means to honor, to favor, to grace. And so it's not, okay, well, you're favored because of what you've earned, but they're basically saying, you know, God has chosen you not based on what you've earned, but you're chosen because of his grace. Greetings, O oh, graced one. Greetings to the one whom God, by his grace, has chosen you for the special task. And you see that even more clearly in verse 30. You know, the, you know we're told that you know, Mary couldn't understand this, and so the angel continues on. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And the word there is exactly the word charis, grace. It's the Greek word grace. It, doesn't, it means you have found grace with God. And again, what is grace? It's unmerited favor. It, it's something that we haven't earned. It's God giving us what we do not deserve. And so what he's saying is, don't be afraid, Mary. God has chosen you by his grace. He's chosen you to bestow this favor that you've not earned. And friends, this is, is important because it's telling us from the very beginning of Jesus, from the time that before he was born, that the whole nature of his life, of his message, of the gospel message is grace. God doesn't choose us because we're the good people or the people that have earned his, his favor. It, it described how we're saved. We're saved by grace. By grace, Mary was saved by grace. She was chosen by God as an act of grace. And it's true for all who would become Christians, all those who would become followers of Christ, all whom God would choose to use. It is because of God's grace, God's unmerited favor and love for us. I'm a follower of Christ, but it's not because I'm a good person. It's because God, by his grace, has favored me. I don't deserve it. Why did God choose Mary? Not because she was good, not because she had earned it, because God is good. There's no reason beyond that. Now, when I think of this again, we talk about the whole thing about religion, and, and you see this is all so much in the, in the face of what religion is. Religion is about what we do to earn God's favor. The Christian message is about God choosing and favoring us by grace. It's God taking nobodies out of nowhere and choosing to give them love or people that have even failed and fallen short. We're going to see some even in the, this, this evening. We can't earn God's favor. And religion tries and says, here's what you do. Christianity says, I acknowledge that. But I need to close this gap. And it's not what I can do, but it's recognizing that I could never do. And the problem is the sin problem that separates me from God. And I need to ask God to close it for me and to accept his gift. See, even from the very beginning, we see this whole idea is that, yes, Mary was saved by grace, but it's a grace that's made possible only by Jesus and his actions. Mary was ultimately saved by what her son did. That's the only way that any of us are ever saved. You see, because it's not based on what we can do. I could never be good enough. I can never undo the sin that I've done. You see, but again, Jesus Christ was born. He was without sin. He lived the perfect life I could never live. And when he died on the cross, he takes the sin I could never get rid of. And it was ultimately Mary's faith in what Jesus would do one day, which is ultimately what saved her, which is an amazing concept. 
John 3.16, well-known passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How are we saved? By God's intervention and by our belief in what God has done for us. Now that's at the core of what the virgin birth means, but let's even dig a little deeper and see some of the applications that we put to our own lives because there's so much here. There's so much in the story of Christmas. It's a story of God intervening, God initiating, God showing grace, and, and in the midst of that, of God doing the impossible. Look at again at the angel's message in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. Now Mary's in shock, and, and you know, she's like, obvious question, verse 34. How will this be since I'm a virgin? You know, how can I have a, vi- a, a child? You know, I'm, I've, not, I've not had sexual relations with a man, and 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 how, how will this be? Now, I want you to see that there's, there's a couple questions we're going to see in this. It's how will this be? I can't get pregnant, but also how will this work out? Practically, I'm a virgin and I'm engaged to be married. And, and if I get pregnant, how is this going to work? There's two questions here and we're going to play this out. But, but when you see this, it starts with, this is impossible. You know, you, you know, people that are virgins, I mean, God does miracles, and even we're going to see in a moment that God had given this miracle to Elizabeth, or you know, relative, an older woman who had been barren, and, and God had done that numerous times, and that's amazing. But, you know, we, many of us know some older women that you thought would never have a child who suddenly gets pregnant, and boy, it's amazing. It's a miracle of God, but not an impossible miracle of God. I mean, you hear that story and you're like, wow, you're pregnant. Wow, I didn't, that's a surprise. You know, it's, it, and it's probably a surprise to you too. Don't tell your child it's a surprise. But, you know, just, uh, and, but if you meet somebody and you talk to them and you say, oh, you're pregnant. You know, how long you? Well, I'm about seven months. And uh, awesome. Boy, girl, what's a boy? Good. Well, who's the dad? We actually, um, I've never had sexual relations with a man. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle of God. And we're like, uh, okay, you know, it's like call some counsel or counsel, you know, let's, you know, this is one that's, you know, why? Because we look at that and you say, that's absurd. That's not possible. And, and Mary knows it. So he, she hears this and she says, well, wait a second, how are you going to accomplish this? You know, this is, uh, this can't happen. I know that I've, I've not had sex. I'm not married yet. And it's impossible. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit, the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And what he's saying is, it's a miracle. God's going to do something that he's never done in human history. And God's going to do it. Why? Because in verse 37, he comes back and he says, for nothing is impossible with God. Is it impossible? Yes, from an earthly perspective, it's impossible. Yes, from our perspective, it makes no sense. But what we have to remember is that God is the creator. God is in the one in creation who designed the rules of nature. He's not bound by the rules of nature. They aren't above him that he now has to obey. The fact is he's the one that designed him. He's the one and put in place. They answer to him. And so if God in his sovereign control comes out and says that in various times he does this and he says, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to set aside the rules. I'm going to show you that that I am, I am the one who controls the wind and the waves. I am the one that can, and, and I'm going to set aside those rules, and I'm not at all limited. And, and this is one of those many times where he comes and he does the amazing. 
you see in this little phrase that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit that this God who initiates comes and at times works in history, not only in the past but in the present, and pushes aside the impossible or, or the, you know, the seeming realities to do the impossible. We serve a God who does the impossible. And my friends, I want, you to, I want to restate that. We serve a God who does the impossible, not just a God who did the impossible. And when we read the story of what God has done and that God did the impossible, remember we serve a living and active God who is still doing the impossible. He entered in human history. He entered in our history. And in our lives as we trust in him, he's still doing the impossible. He's still doing things that people will say would never be done. And, and I want to tell you, there, there are stories that are here that people are going to share, you know, sharing that they talk about, man, they're over, you know, addiction, and I can't overcome this, and people can't overdone this. And people are being freed from their addiction. Hey, we've got a recovery group starting after the new year. And it's people that are sharing their stories and saying, here's where God is giving me freedom and inviting people that are saying, if you seem this is impossible, I want you to be a part of this because God is doing the impossible. God is giving people the ability to forgive people that you could never forgive. It's impossible. You don't have the ability. God's giving people the ability and people that go through great trials and great pain, things that are destroying people and say, with God, nothing is impossible. Because we work, we serve a God who is involved in human history. Now, that being the case, I want you to realize that we, we serve a God that is at work and that is doing the impossible. But when we're in the middle of the story, while we, he's doing the impossible, we may not always understand and see. It may not always feel like he's working. Because Christmas is a story which requires faith in the character of God while we're in the middle of the story. See, oftentimes, even when we look at the Christmas story, it's often seen as kind of this magical story. And here you have this wonderful thing, and the angel comes, and he says, we are chosen for this great blessing. And, and then they get married, and they have this baby, and they have all these people come, and they have all these incredible gifts. And even the, away in the manger, it tells us that no crying he made. He was a perfect baby. He didn't even cry. You know, it was like just a wonderful story. That's not in the Bible. It's just in the, in the, in the song. You see, it's not an accurate telling of the story. When we study Luke 1, it becomes clear that in the Christmas story, as in all of our stories, while we are in the middle of the story, we can look at it afterwards and say, isn't that greater the way that God worked? But in the middle of the story, God leaves many questions unanswered. Look at again Luke chapter 1, verse 34. The angel told Mary that she would conceive a child. Mary comes back in verse 34 and responds with a question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And again, here's what I want you to see. There are two questions she's asking. On the one hand, she's saying, how is this going to happen biologically? You know, how, I'm a virgin. I, you know, that doesn't happen, you know, asexual. How is this going to happen since I'm a virgin? And, and the angel seems to answer that question pretty correctly or directly. Verse 35, the angel sa- answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and be called Holy, the Son of God. And, and again, we may not totally understand that, but it's a pretty direct answer. But there's another aspect of that question, which I think she's clearly asking is, how is this going to work? Not how is it going to happen, but practically, how is it going to work? I'm a single woman. I'm engaged to be married. I mean, in this period where we're engaged and we're supposed to prove our fidelity and purity in this, in this time of engagement, and, and now if I suddenly show up pregnant, I'm going to be rejected. 
You know, what's going to happen? How's it going to explain it to my parents? Who's going to explain it to Joseph? And my friends, look at the story. Does the angel answer that question? The question's clearly there. Does he answer it? I want to tell you, when I started in the beginning of the week, if you asked me, I'd say, no, the angel doesn't answer that question. Um, And I'll tell you, the more that I've studied it, the more I realize that he gives a partial answer. There is some answer there, but it's not the answer that she necessarily wanted. Okay, here's how it's going to be laid out. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to explain. There's a lot of unanswered aspects. We're going to see the part that's answered, but there's a lot that is unanswered. Now, one of the parts that is answered is in verse 37, we saw nothing is impossible with God. Part of the answer is, is this. I'm not going to tell you how, I'm just going to tell you that. You're asking, how is this going to work? And I'm not going to lay it all out, but I'm just going to tell you that nothing is impossible. It's not only, hey, listen, if God can cause this baby to, you know, you know, to be impregnated in your, in your womb without, without being married, without being sexual relations, God can do anything. And you're wondering, how is God going to work this out? And the fact is, I want you to realize, I'm not going to promise that I'm going to explain it to Joseph, or I'm not going to explain it to your parents. I'm not going to promise that um, you know, that all the details, but I'm going to tell you this, is that God's going to work it out. You know, her fear that, again, what are people going to think? And he's saying, no, nothing is impossible. And what we've got to realize is that that's likewise a promise in our own lives. That we're sitting there and we've got to realize there are going to be times that we sit there and we say, God, what is going on? How am I going to deal with this cancer? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to deal with this, you know, this crisis in my home? How am I going to deal with this broken marriage? How am I? And nothing is impossible with God. Now, in the middle of that story, though, recognize that God will tell us this is the ending. This is, the, this is, this is where we're going to be at. But in the middle of it, you know, God doesn't just come and say, well, Mary, I've got it all taken care of. I'm going to go, you know, he doesn't promise that because what happens is what we see in this story is what we find in our story is God will always save us, but he will not always save us from the storm. He often saves us through the storm. He often doesn't answer the questions, allows us to go through the difficulty. But here's what we have to realize. It's a story. Our life is a story, and he promises this, that we can trust him to complete the story that he starts. The fact is that God started the story. God chose Mary, and by his grace, and we can see in our retrospect all the things that God did and how God brought that to completion. But in the middle of the story, she didn't see all that. And there was a crisis. But what we have to realize is that If God started the story, sent the angel to proclaim the good news, she had to be able to say, you know what? If this is God's son, I don't know how he's going to work it out, but I trust if he started the story, he's going to complete the story. He's going to to take care of this. Now, we might say, but that's that's Mary, and that's Jesus. That's That's like the most important story of human history. Of course, if Jesus, God started that story, he's going to take care of his own son, it's he's going to take care of Mary, and, but I'm, my story isn't that important. I'm, my, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not Jesus' parent. All right, two questions. Number one, is God's power limited so he can only show that degree of love, that degree of control to one person at a time? Is he, was he stretched by taking care of Jesus in his story that 
or that he can only handle so many people and man, we slip through the cracks because, no, of course not. No, he takes care of the birds of the field. So there's no sense that God's power is limited. Now, the second question is this. Okay, you say, well, that was, that was Jesus' story. Okay, what's your relationship to God? You know, the Bible says, John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, you are a child of God. If you are a child of God, if you are loved, if he has begun your story, can you trust him to finish your story? And look what he promises. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the day of completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He began the work in you. You can be sure that he will bring it to completion. Do I understand how he will do it? Do I understand how it will play out? No, I don't. And it will not always play out the way you expected. It will not always, I wish we had more explanations. And there are times that it's going to feel like God isn't there. And, and there are so many questions that are answered. But my friends, I want you to realize that what this is saying is that no, he will complete the story. And in those times of uncertainty, recognize that we see even in the story of Mary, even in the story of, of, of Jesus' birth, there's that uncertainty, but there's a confidence in the one who began the story, who initiated it. Nothing's impossible with him. He will keep us. We need to remind ourselves of that truth and trust in his character even when we, when we don't understand exactly what he's doing. But there's one other part of that, is that as we're trusting in his character, we also recognize that while we may not have all the answers, there's always a part of the answer. There's a part of the provision. This is the part that of, the script, of the passage I've never seen before. It's really awesome. Look at verse 30, 34. The, uh, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And again, there's two questions. How will this happen? How will this work out? Verse 35, he begins the first one. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Holy Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child be born will call holy the Son of God. That's how it will happen. Now, the second question is, how is this going to work out? Now look at verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and will conceive a son. And this is the sixth month uh, with her. Uh, and, and this is the sixth month with who is called barren. Now let me ask you this question. Why did the angel tell Mary about Elizabeth? Yeah, think about that. Was it just a sign? Now here, let me think about this though. It's a, it's a miracle that other older women have gotten pregnant before. No one who's a virgin has ever gotten pregnant. Now, if, if it's a sign to say, here's the impossible, now you can believe the implausible. But if this is something implausible, the implausible, does it give me evidence to believe the impossible? And by the fact, time, the fact is, by the time that Mary gets to Elizabeth, she's going to probably know she's pregnant herself. That's what I've always thought that it was a sign. But the more I realized it was, that's not the primary reason. And it's shown by what follows. See, what you've got to realize is this. What follows after this is that Mary goes to Elizabeth. Right after this, she goes to Elizabeth. And right away, we could think, oh, well, that's a neat thing. You know, she went and visited. Well, here's what I want you to realize. This trip was a long trip. I mean, this was, Mary is in Nazareth. She's going down north or south of Jerusalem, the hill country of Judea, probably 80 to 100 miles in the hill country, probably took the trip either by herself or with a caravan, 14-year-old pregnant woman. All right, 
I think about my 14-year-old, am I going to send her on a, on a walking somewhere 100 miles away by herself? No, especially if she's pregnant. So what's going on here? You go to Matthew, and what you see is that when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he decided to put her away. Now, this is a shame culture. If you have a 14-year-old girl who shows up pregnant suddenly, unexpected, you go hide her. Like, send her 100 miles away to a relative that nobody knows. I want you to realize it wasn't like, oh, I get to go visit Elizabeth. It was, you're pregnant, you're, we've got to hide you. And, and the angel said, go to Elizabeth. And everyone is sitting there saying, Mary, how could you do this? I don't believe you. I don't believe, you know. And everyone is and she goes to Elizabeth. And as soon as she walks into Elizabeth's home, the, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps. And Elizabeth says, oh, greetings, favorite one. You're chosen by God. I believe you. And it was God's provision at the moment. Now, God would eventually then show up to Joseph and tell him, but not right away. The thing is, is that what he said is, right now, here's one person that will believe you. Right now, here's one person's provision. In the middle, there's a lot of questions that we don't know, but you know what? In any of our story, if we step back and we look at it and can say, I, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about this, but this is God's provision. And what he's telling us in the middle of the story, there's going to be a lot of confusion, a lot of things we don't know, but God says, okay, but take hope in what you do know. There's, there's always an Elizabeth. There's always somebody that is there that's part of God's provision in the here and the moment. And, and when we get to the next step, he's going to provide there as well because he's completing the story. My friends, I hope you take hope in that. Now, just in closing, just last thought, this is a story, but it's a story not of what Jesus, or what God did, but of what God's doing. And so when we think about this Christmas, I wanna challenge you to say that it's a story that calls each of us to find our own place in the story. You know, for some, it may be looking back and remembering that this Christmas is a story of God's intervention and to realize that, okay, how is God intervening in your life? There may be some people here today and you're like, I'm not sure how I got here. I'm not sure why I'm here. God, you are here because God is pursuing you, because God loves you. Not because God wants to beat you up or where you failed, but because God is pursuing you and saying, no, I want you to know a story of grace because Christmas is a story of grace. It's not about your religion. It's about, okay, are you willing to admit that, that you can't fix what's broken and accept the gift of grace that God offers by him doing that? Are you willing to come to him in the midst of your impossibility and say, God, I need you, accept you to do the impossible. God, here's something that I cannot overcome. I surrender to you. I ask you to, to heal what can, I can't fix on my own. And for those who are in the middle of the storm, to recognize that I don't have all the answers, and I know you don't, and it's confusing. And, but you recognize that he began this story. He began the good work in you, and trust him to bring it to completion, even when you don't know where the story's going. Trust that he loves you every bit as he loved Mary, and he's just as committed to caring for your story, even in the times that it's confusing. And even in that, Look for his provision. Find hope for where he's providing now and let that be the thing that gives you trust to, to trust in him for what he will provide in the future. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions about what we talked about, Jesus Christ, our church, or anything else, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or by email. We'd love to hear from you.